You are listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open. <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill. Unbelievable. Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. Tua, shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. We got it. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of game. the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's episode, our penultimate divisional preview episode takes us inside our own division, the AFC East. Evan Lazar from Patriots.com will join us. That's it. It's going to be all Bills, Jets, Dolphins, Patriots right here from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. Let's go ahead and jump right into my interview with Patriots.com's Evan Lazar. And joining us today for the AFC East preview for the 2023 season is a man from Patriots.com, the host of the Catch-22 podcast there for the Patriots Podcast Network, Evan Lazar. Evan, how you been, man? It's been a long time since we've talked. I know. It's been a long time since we've done a show together. Saw each other at the Combine, which is always fun to see everybody that, you know, mostly from social media, but but get to meet them in person. So that was, that was cool. And uh, yeah, it's, I'm glad to be back and uh, doing something with you. Were you down here for week one last year? You had to have been. I I wasn't actually, because I I caught COVID uh, in in our trip to Vegas uh, for the final preseason game. So that was the one road game I I didn't travel to last year was Miami. But uh, knock on wood, I'll I'll be back there this year. But I, I still can't get every road game. I that last year I was like, this is it. I'm gonna be at every single game. And then it turned out that uh, I missed that one. But uh, I, I always love coming down to Miami. I've been down there before um, for past Patriots games. I was at the Miami Miracle. Unfortunately, I was at a few other uh, Patriots Dolphins games. So it's always a good place to be. I sit on the furthest uh, section over closest to the visitors, like reporters. And I, I remember I didn't come say hi to you. It's like I wouldn't do that if I if I had seen you. So I was yeah. wondering if you were there or not. But um, this year yeah. we'll, we'll definitely get a look and. Uh, it'll be maybe good weather, at least better than the the season opener last year and in early September when it was just hot as hell out there. But yeah. uh, the yeah. game will be Sunday, October 29th here, week number eight, a one o'clock kickoff. Of course, the Dolphins face the Patriots as well. Week two up in Foxborough for a Sunday night kickoff on the 17th of September. But we're going to start here before we get into the uh, games against the Patriots with the 30,000 foot view of the AFC East breaking down this division. You and I both have been covering this division for a long, long time. So I thought it'd be fun to talk about it with you here on the podcast. A lot's gone on here, man. This division has gone from one team that dominated for 20 years to all of a sudden, really a bunch of teams that feel really good about where they are heading into the new campaign. Kind of just talk about this division as a whole and how the offseason has gone so far in the AFC East. Well, ultimately, I still think we're all chasing Buffalo, and until Buffalo is dethroned as division champs, the Bills should probably feel pretty good 
about repeating as long as they have that nucleus together of Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs on the offensive side of the ball. And even though they lost Tremaine Edmonds on defense, I still think the general outline of their defense is pretty similar uh, going into this year as well. So uh, for the Patriots uh, against the Bills, uh, they have one win in the last couple of years, which was that Gale Force wins game uh, on Monday night in Buffalo. Other than that, they, they don't have a win against Buffalo since I think 19 when Brady was here so last uh, so I, I always look up at Buffalo but I think what's fun or interesting about this division and maybe the Patriots and we'll get to them I know individually in a second have gone about it a little bit differently than uh, the Jets and the Dolphins have uh, but it really feels like the AFC East has turned into an arms race where everybody is just trying to load up as much as they can offensively to try to compete with Buffalo and you look at what the Jets have done with Aaron Rodgers obviously Miami's done with the receivers that they've added around to and hiring Mike McDaniel to bring an offensive flavor uh, to the Dolphins organization so they're going to score some points in the AFC East and I know defensively these teams are pretty good too uh, but I still think that the quarterbacks and the offense is going to be what ultimately decides the division. You mentioned the Gale Force wins. I'm so glad Buffalo didn't put a dome or, or I guess propose a dome stadium up there uh, in Western New York, because like the weather in this division to me is one of the more fascinating things. You always get the wind up in the Meadowlands. You get the heat down here. Obviously you get crazy yeah. lakes, lake effect snow in Buffalo. And then of course in Foxborough, you never know what you're going to get with those weather te- uh, winter temperatures up there as well. So it's one of the most fun divisions, not saying that just because I'm, I'm so inundated by this AFC East division, but Man, the offseason of just crazy acquisitions, a big-time quarterback coming over. I agree with you. Uh, you know, the, last year going into that week three game against Buffalo, our kind of mantra as, as Dolphins fans was like, we, we got to beat them first before we can start talking about how we might have a chance to, you know, surpass them in the standings. And that has to be the case, you know, going into this year, just like it was for the Patriots for so many years there. But you mentioned Buffalo. We kick it off with the Buffalo Bills and, and talk about their offseason here because, you know, a, ch- a change of defensive coordinator. They're going to have Sean McDermott calling plays this year. You mentioned, right. um, you know, the, the replacing Tremaine Edmonds in the middle of that defense. Let's go ahead and start there on defense for Buffalo because last year, a little bit up and down performances, lots of injuries in that side of the ball. How do you see them coming back this year, especially with a new play caller who is their head coach on defense? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting way to go about things for for the Bills. And I understand that they probably feel pretty good about Dorsey on the offensive side of the ball and Josh Allen, maybe even calling his own game to a degree at this point in his career. Uh, But I never, I always have reservations about head coaches taking over play calling that haven't done it in a while, or that's not really the way that they want to go about things. It's almost like, Uh, McDermott has to take it over just out of necessity because they don't really have anybody to step in uh, to that role for Leslie Frazier. So I look at the Patriots and how they've done things too. Bill Belichick has never really been a play caller as the head coach of the Patriots. He's been more of that CEO type on the sideline. That's just uh, quality control and overseeing the entire operation. And he allows right now, obviously Bill O'Brien coming back to call plays offensively and Steve Belichick doing the play calling defensively. So it's going to be interesting to see how it works out for Buffalo. And I think the other thing that you're sort of waiting for with this with this uh, defense is those younger pass rushers, you know, guys like Greg Rousseau, for instance, are those guys and Ed Oliver who just got that massive extension. Are are they going to step up and, and really be a force up front alongside Von Miller, which, when does he come back? Is he going to come back full strength and be the same guy he was before the injury? I think is another big question. We know about their secondary 
they're really well coached back there. They have a good system. They've been good in the, in the past defense in the secondary for a long time, but I feel like Buffalo is still waiting for really Russo and Ed Oliver to truly come into their own and, and start to take over games. Yeah. The, the Von Miller thing is really intriguing because I think if you add him to the mix and you get Von Miller, all of a sudden you have a front that is just going to put relentless pressure on quarterbacks. Right. I love the addition of Leonard Floyd and Puna Ford in that defensive line to make a strength even stronger this year. And you mentioned the secondary, like, you know, we always look at the acquisitions teams making the off season, but sometimes it's just your incumbents or guys that you get back. They didn't have Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer for most of the year last year. Then you add Taylor Rapp and Cameron Dantzler, you know, Teron Johnson's back there and he's one of the best nickels in the entire game. So I think that's a really intriguing part there on the defense. And you mentioned, you know, in the 30,000 foot view portion, how the other teams in the arms race kind of trying to catch up to the bills offensively in this division. I'm looking at Buffalo and, and they did rework the offensive line, but for the most part, didn't really do a whole lot to add to their offense. I'm curious how you think the impact of a couple of guys will, will help that offense because they really made two moves. Damian Harris, Harris, who I love, and you know very well, and yeah. uh, Dalton Kincaid, the, the rookie tight end. Uh, curious how you think those two guys impact this offense. Well, I feel like, and then with all the stuff that's come out about Stefan Diggs, and it seems like his unhappiness was about how they tried to be a little bit more traditional offensively in the second half of the year to take some of the pressure off of Josh Allen. And that's what I felt like the Damian Harris signing was for was to give them a true between the tackles early down back. I mean, we know Harris really well up here and, and he's a power back. He, he's somebody that's going to be able to tote the rock if he's healthy uh, 150, 200 times on the ground. But is that really how Buffalo wants to play? It doesn't seem like that's what Diggs wants to do, right? They want to air it out and, and throw it and, and uh, be one of those teams that we see every single year year uh, uh you know passing over expected buffalo and kansas city are always like all the way over here and everybody else is like sort of middle of the pack so <laughs> is that going to continue uh for the bills now that they have a guy like damian harris i thought maybe not and then they go ahead and they draft dalton kincaid who's basically just a big wide receiver so it, it is kind of mixed signals I, I think from buffalo where they're headed and they obviously want to keep their star wide receiver happy. Uh, so I still lean towards the bills being a heavy pass team and really putting most of it on Josh Allen in that passing game. But I think what they need to do offensively, and this is where some of the running stuff I think was supposed to come in is they need to be more consistent and not as volatile where they could hang 50 on you, but they can also have a game like they did against the Bengals in the playoffs. And when you heavy is the head that wears the crown, right? Like Buffalo, uh, I say this all the time to, to Bill's mafia when they have me on their shows, uh, we knew it all well and good in new England that you got a target on your back and the expectation is Super Bowl or bust. And when you're the Bills, the pressure is starting to mount a little bit to get that first Super Bowl championship. And maybe the, that breaks the dam, right? They get one and all of a sudden they're, they're a team that wins a couple in a few years. But until they get that first one, the pressure is going to continue to mount and mount and mount in Buffalo. That's literally the last bullet point I had to ask you about was the pressure that they might be facing this year. Because again, like you said, I, I listen to all kinds of different podcasts around the NFL. And that's one of the things I hear about is this has to be the year for Buffalo. It's like, does it? I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe not. Um, yeah. And, you know, you mentioned some of the, the additions on the offensive line there. I thought they did a great job of, of going and getting uh, Brandon Shell, Osiris Torrance, and uh, who was the other one up here? Uh, Connor McGovern this offseason. So maybe there is a little more thought there towards the, the running game. But like you mentioned, I think that the best example of the passing game and, and being reliant on that and the pressure they felt was like you talked about in the 
playoffs because before the Bengals game against Miami, Allen averaged like something like 14 air yards per throw in that game yeah. against Miami. And he turned the ball over a lot in that game and it kept Miami in the game till the, till the very end there, you know, with a rookie quarterback under center for them. So uh, I'm curious how, like, I, I don't know how you could possibly answer this. Evan, I'm, I'm going to ask it anyways, because we don't know the psyche of, of the professional athlete, but I'm, I'm thinking about your time covering the Patriots because when the first, they had that first like dynasty, right? They, they just won right away and they, they kept winning after that. So there wasn't like this pressure to go get a championship at that time. But I think the second part of Brady's career, when the championships weren't coming and they had lost a couple of Super Bowls, did they kind of feel that sense of pressure? And how do you think that team can kind of compare to this Buffalo team in terms of we got to go find a way to win a ring? Because right now we have this all time great quarterback. We have to pay it off with a championship. Yeah, look, let's let's face it. And now, in hindsight, we don't have to worry about this in New England. But if the Patriots dynasty, quote unquote, had just started at 2005 and they never had Dynasty 2.0 in the 2010s, then you're going to look back and say they only won three times with Tom Brady. Like that's kind of a failure, uh, you know, similar to how like Brett Favre won once in Green Bay in the beginning of his career and never won again, and Aaron Rodgers won once and never won again. Like that's sort of what the narratives might have been in Tom Brady's career. And I think it's a hundred percent true that in those uh, early 2010s, like when they reset after the Moss years, like in 09, 2010, around there, they had some really bad defenses and there was a lot of pressure to win another one. They went, they went a decade uh, as much success as they had. And they made two Super Bowls and they won a ton of games. Uh, the Patriots made a decade in between Super Bowls from 2004 to 2014. So there was a little bit of a drought in terms of championships. And, and I think that Buffalo uh, is in a similar spot where they have to maximize this Allen Diggs window. And at some point, they'll probably turn it over to a next regime around Allen because Diggs is going to age out and Allen isn't. Uh, but will they be able to replenish the arsenal at that point? And will they be able to find another Stefan Diggs uh, to pair with a 30 to 35 year old Josh Allen, let's say. And, and that's really what they're up against right now is making sure uh, that the roster around Allen uh, doesn't age and doesn't wilt around him to the point where then they have to reset. So I think there's a ton of pressure uh, on Sean McDermott in Buffalo. And I think you have to start, really considering the fact that if they don't get over the hump and they don't at least make the Super Bowl here soon, how much longer is Sean McDermott going to have until they look at it and say, well, he got us to this point, but is he really the coach that's going to win a title for us? And, and I kind of go always go back and cross sports, uh, you know, like with the Warriors, right, with uh, with Mark Jackson. And then the, finally they bring in Steve Kerr and he's the one that gets them the championship. And maybe that's a similar thing with Sean McDermott and the Bills. Uh, we'll see. But ultimately, I really find it interesting to see where this offense is headed and, and what they do, because the two things that have really stood out to me about Buffalo, and, and this is sort of their bottom line line is that Josh Allen can easily win the game for you as easily as he can throw it away for you and the interceptions and the high uh, volatility for their offense especially like in the red zone and things like that and short yardage has been a big problem for them in these uh close games against playoff teams in the playoffs like last year and secondly their running game without Allen being a factor just their traditional turn it, you know, turn around and hand the ball to the running back style running game has been bad the last couple of years. It just has been bad. So are they going to go all in on Allen being Cam Newton 2.0 and just let them keep running all over the place? Or are they going to try to shift 
and then talking about the longevity of Josh Allen, right? Like how, how much do you really want to put on his plate? So I, I think that offensively they, they're at sort of a, a schematic crossroads of what's really best for the long term and maybe what's best for going all in on the short term to win the championship. Uh, really well said. My first thought was, man, what a tough industry that you have a coach who, for my money, is one of the best in the NFL, consistently putting yeah. his team deep into the postseason. But like you said, like you never know. And that I love the basketball, baseball crossovers here in the podcast. I do it all the time. So that Mark yeah. Jackson comment was perfect for the podcast here. But what a tough industry, man. Like you're, you're winning all these games and you might, you know, you, you might have that thought in the future of like, can he get him over the hump? Like I remember Andy Reid dealt with that for years and years before he got that right. first championship with the chiefs. And now it's like looking back in hindsight. Yeah. He's one of the best coaches of all time there. So very fascinating. And then the Josh Allen stuff, man, the way sometimes when he gets hit, Evan, I'm like, there's no way he's getting up from that. He just bounces right back up. He is an absolute tank. And I'm curious to see if they do, you know, continue having him take that kind of punishment. I think they, the, the front office would like to see him not do that as much, but sometimes you can't coach the player out of the player sometimes. And, uh, you know, speaking of injuries, he did take an injury last year that didn't cost him any time, but uh, I think it did affect the way he played for a stretch of games there with that elbow injury facing the New York Jets, a team that did beat Buffalo once last year and competed in the second contest with them. But now the Jets all of a sudden have their answer at the biggest position that was a, a real weakest for him last year at quarterbacks. We pivot here to, to the Jets. Oh, real quick, the Dolphins will play the Buffalo Bills week four in Buffalo on October the 1st, a one o'clock kickoff, and then the season finale week 18 down here in Miami for possibly a Saturday or a Sunday game against Buffalo. Speaking of the New York Jets, it all starts with a quarterback, right? Aaron Rodgers. I, I just want to hear your opinion here as someone's opinion that I really respect in terms of the X's and O's and, and you know, scheme fits and all that stuff. What do you make of Aaron Rodgers' season last year where it was kind of a, a downturn from the previous two MVP seasons? And how do you think he can get back to that this year or will he not get back to that? I, Aaron Rodgers last year reminded me so much of 2019 Brady. And as it turns out, it was his last year, just like it was in in, in with Brady in New England, his last year being in Green Bay last year. So you look at what happened last year with, with the Packers. Uh, they have a big turnover at the wide receiver position. They trade Devonte Adams, the Patriots in 19 Rob Gronkowski retires, right? So two kind of, uh, you know, hall of fame caliber players, pillars of the organization, they leave and the quarterback is stuck making it work with rookies and new guys and new faces and new places. And, they get frustrated. They just naturally get frustrated. Aaron Rodgers has to look at it and say, they didn't give me enough to win a Super Bowl this year. We don't have the talent on the offensive side of the football or the experience uh, to really win a Super Bowl. And then he's also not playing at the level that we're used to seeing him play. And all of a sudden, now you have a disgruntled quarterback. And Brady's famous line was the Patriots actually started the 19 season like eight or nine and oh, because of the defense. And he said that he was the unhappiest nine and zero quarterback in the history of the NFL. And I, I think that Rogers probably felt the same way, although the record was, was worse for green Bay. So the question really is with the jets and now he's got Garrett Wilson and he's got some, some tools and some pieces to work with, but can they get Rogers back dialed in? Can they get that bucks Brady version of Aaron Rodgers? Cause Brady goes to Tampa Bay. He's got, weapons up the the yin yang with you know mike evans and chris godwin and then antonio brown comes and gronk comes out of retirement and they win a super bowl so it could it could easily go that way for the jets or it could easily go the way of a lot of guys at this stage of their careers that move on from the team they spent their entire careers with and it it could go belly up like i i honestly think 
I lean more towards them being competitive than not, but how competitive are they is really going to come down to is Aaron Rodgers going to be the MVP Aaron Rodgers, or is he going to just be better than Zach Wilson, which like, isn't really much of uh, saying much. So I I think that's going to be a big thing. I think in Miami in new England, we're hoping that it's, still the kind of fizzled out Aaron Rodgers, uh, but more than likely, I think that he's going to play some pretty good football. I was going to say, it's a pretty interesting conversation because you have two guys here that want to see that latter portion you were talking about where it does fizzle out and we all get to, you know, have our last of the jets that we love to get off so much here, but certainly look like the most competitive team they fielded here in quite a long time. And uh, a big part of that goes to the defensive side of the football, what they were able to do last year. And yeah. I always look at, you know, top of the line defense and who better to talk to you than, than this, you know, conversation about sustaining defensive play because the Patriots have done it for so long. And we'll talk about that when the Patriots do come up here next but I'm always kind of dubious about teams that, you know, they, they have that really dominant defense that just puts together a, a, a top of the line season that really doesn't allow many points, doesn't allow many yards and just dominates teams. It's typically tough to sustain that year after year. I'm curious how you think this Jets defense can do that and kind of how it's built upon those two corners, right? DJ Reed and obviously Sauce Gardner. Yeah, I think the big thing with the Jets defense is that it's it's also built on the system. And we know that the system is sound because it's traveled from San Francisco to New York and to a few other places that Robert Sala, you know, Kyle Shanahan masterpiece of really what has morphed, I think, in the Jets, at least, you know, I haven't studied the the Niners film quite as much as I have with the Jets, but they play a lot more quarters in like two high structures at this point than that true Seattle three system that we've seen with Pete Carroll and, and the Seahawks back in the day. So I, I think with this defense, you really have to have great linebacker play in order to pull this off. And we know in San Francisco, they have Warner, they have Greenlaw, they have two athletic rangy really good zone coverage linebackers and with the Jets it's been Mosley and it's been Quincy Williams who's kind of an underrated player I think in the middle of that entire defense are those two guys you know Mosley I think is getting a little bit up there in age but still a good player and uh, Quincy Williams like I mentioned a little bit of a of an unknown a kind of under the radar player are they going to be able to continue to dominate the middle of the field at the second level like they have over the last couple seasons because I I think, you know, what you're going to get on the outside uh, with Reed and sauce, like those two guys are going to be good players, especially sauce Gardner is going to be one of the best corners in the league again. And especially in this system, it's, I'm not going to say it's easier for corners, but I do think it's a little bit easier than some of the man heavy systems that you see across the league to just control your side of the field, uh, play bail, play cover three, play a little bit of man to man situationally. It, It feels a little bit like sauce should basically be the same that he was last year, if not better. Um, But I look at this defense and I I also remember, you know, the two games they played against New England last year, what really stood out was how good their front was. Uh, Quinnen Williams, uh, obviously John Franklin Myers, I think is one of the most underrated players in the entire NFL. And now they add Will McDonald in the first round. I I thought, I don't know about you, but I thought it was a little bit early for Will McDonald uh, when they drafted him. And I know the, the rumors were that they were, 
they were after uh, Broderick Jones and they got passed over by the Steelers. Who knows what, what actually ended up happening there. The Jets claim that's not what happened, but uh, who knows? And then Bryce Huff, I think, is a really good situational uh, Josh Uche edge rusher type um, that plays on third down in the passing game. They absolutely ate up the Patriots offensive line for two games last year with that front with Quinn and Williams playing out of his mind for most of the year. So I look at this defense. I think it's going to be just as good. I think the system sound and really travels and translates year to year and then you have good players so I don't really see where the drop-off comes for the Jets I think if you are a Dolphins fan or you're a Patriots fan and you're hoping that there's a drop-off coming maybe it's at the linebacker level uh, with Mosley starting to show his age a little bit but it's hard it's hard to see it it's hard to see the Jets defense being much worse than it was last year you, you nailed it with the how the Niners played their system for so long. They're under Salon and really with D'Amico Ryan's now going forward, I'm sure, with Steve Wilkes. But they the cornerback investment wasn't a position they really invested in. You see this Jets team, they have, you know, invested heavily with the number th- – was it the number four overall pick that Sauce yeah, was a couple so. years ago? And then uh, – <clears throat> excuse me, then DJ Reed, obviously a big, you know, free agent acquisition. But then like you talked about, that front, they have gone after that position, you know, year after year here. Michael Clemens a year ago. You mentioned John Franklin Myers got a contract. Uh, Carl Lawson got a big contract a while back. Bryce Huff and Will McDonald, the first-round pick this year. They go out and they get Solomon Thomas as well. So, man, they they have waves and waves of pass rushers. And uh, if we can pivot back to the offensive side here, because I agree with you, I think the defense is going to be their calling card once again. And if Rodgers can make it all happen, then obviously that, that makes them a really dangerous out there in the AFC East. But I think you talk about potential, you know, trapdoor scenarios, because I look at what the Packers had last year and Rodgers got hit a lot. He was under pressure a lot. And yeah. that Packers O-line was awfully banged up. What do you think about this Jets offensive line and how, you know, they kind of pivot from, excuse me, Evan, from, from Matt, uh, Mike LaFleur to yeah. uh, Nathaniel Hackett and how the offensive line kind of comes together because I'm looking at a line that is really relying at that tackle position on a couple of guys that have been banged up a lot the last couple of years and Makai Becton and Dwayne Brown. It's a great point. And I would definitely point to the line as being the real potential Achilles heel for, for the jets. And as much as Aaron Rodgers over his career has been mobile and been able to move around at this stage at 40, like who knows how mobile he's truly going to be. And I look at that, really that right tackle spot with Makai Becton. Like how many times are we going to do this with Makai Becton counting on him as being a a full-time starter and somebody that doesn't just play, uh, you know, half a season, but plays 17 plus games and potentially into the playoffs. If he gets injured, I, I just don't know where the jets go from there. Max Mitchell I think he's more of a left tackle. Uh, he's, you know, a guy that's a little bit thinner, a little bit more athletic. Uh, Carter Warren, I, I saw him at at the um, at the Shrine Bowl, I believe. And uh, he's a big, big dude. Uh, he, he's a, a massive guy. He's a rookie uh, out of Pittsburgh. And I think he's got potential and he's got tools, but he's a developmental project, I would say. And then we, we know about Yadni just up here and, and how that uh, has not exactly panned out for him in his NFL career also due to injury. So he's not really somebody that you can count on being healthy either. So I look at the tackle spots for the jets. I have big time concerns. I, I like Joe Tipman. I think that was a good draft pick by them at center. And so it kind of solidifies that interior three with Elijah Vera Tucker, but uh, where do they where do they go at tackle? Do they kick Barrett Tucker back out to tackle? I know he's played tackle a little bit in his college career. I'm not sure if he's played much there in the pros. Uh, I think that's a big thing. But with Hackett and with Rodgers, you do expect them uh, to be a little bit 
Shanahan McDaniel E. I'll, I'll give it, you know, McDaniel E as well. Um, where there's going to be outside zone, there's going to be motion, uh, there's going to be misdirection, play action, boot action, like things like that, that are going to try to move the pocket, are going to try to change the point of attack for the defensive line and the pass rushers. And maybe they get by with a smoke and mirrors type of approach to an extent up front, but they're going to have to be well-schemed, well-coached. Uh, I always look at it at those offenses have to be uh, really well uh, synced up, right? You have to have the play action and the run game and everything sort of marry up so that defenses tend to fall for it and, and really take the cheese there. Uh, otherwise, I, I think if you're going to have to block straight up, uh, with their tackle situation, especially with what they're going to face at all three teams in the AFC East have pass rushers that can get after the quarterback as edge guys. Uh, they're going to have their word cut out for them if they're going to have to just block those guys straight up. Well, Evan's providing excellent analysis here on the AFC East as a whole. We're going to take our first break right here and come back on the other side and get to Evan's team, the New England Patriots, talk about how they might impact this AFC East. Before that, real quick, Dolphins face the Jets twice late in the year. Black Friday, week 12 at New York for a Friday, November the 24th, 3 o'clock kickoff, and then week number 15 down here in Miami, Sunday, December the 17th for 1 o'clock kickoff. Let's take that break right here with my guest, Evan Lazar. Come back on the other side, talk about Patriots and Dolphins on the AFC East preview edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation. Picking it back up here with the AFC East preview for our summer preview series here on the Drive Time Podcast. My guest today is Evan Lazar. And Evan, Great stuff on the Jets and Bills so far. We saved the best for last in terms of the teams that we cover here and the New England Patriots and the Miami Dolphins. Let's go ahead and start up there in Foxborough with your Patriots. And I think the biggest question Dolphins fans or anybody would have for the Patriots this year is the shift from the offensive system a year ago back to Bill O'Brien this year and the impact it might have on Mac Jones. How do they get Mac Jones back to more of that rookie year production where he was a really good quarterback and uh, Bill O'Brien's impact on the offense? What are you seeing up there so far? Well, there's two ways to discuss this. I think the biggest thing is sort of the the bird's eye, 30,000 feet view of is competency on offense and competency really as an organization, because let's face it, last year, especially offensively, but I, I know it didn't necessarily trickle into results defensively. Defense was pretty good. I think overall the operation was kind of a mess, right? Bill Bill Belichick held it together with duct tape, but let's face it, the way that the offensive coaching staff was set up was it was a ticking time bomb. And that really set the tone, I, I think, for the entire season and the entire ceiling of the team last year. So is competency, is having professional coaches in the right spots where they should be coaching. Is that going to be enough uh, to really flip the switch for Mac Jones and for the entire offense? Because I still think that they have question marks about high-end talent. Like, do they have enough high-end talent at receiver? They also have tackle issues uh, right now on the offensive line with Trent Brown coming in a little bit overweight, right tackle being an open competition between a couple names that we can go over that aren't exactly exhilarating. Uh, so their top end talent is not what Buffalo has. It's not what Miami has, especially at the receiver position. And is it going to be enough to just be a professional operation on the offensive side of the ball? I think it's going to be the number one question going into to the season for the Patriots notwithstanding if they signed DeAndre Hopkins, like that obviously could change the outlook a little bit, but 
a 31 year old DeAndre Hopkins, I don't think all of a sudden we look at it and say, oh, wow, the Patriots are Super Bowl contenders. It makes them better, uh, but how much better, I think, remains to be seen. The other question schematically about the Bill O'Brien direction of the offense under Bill O'Brien and uh, what it means for Mac, uh, they, at least in the spring, had a, a pretty good. Alabama flair uh, to some of the things that they were doing. And it kind of looks like a combination of uh, the Bill O'Brien traditional 2011 Patriots playbook and what they were running in Tuscaloosa over the last two years. So I think you're going to see a lot of 12 personnel, two tight ends with Hunter Henry and Mike Kosicki. I think you're going to see a lot of spread. I think you're going to see uh, a lot of the same things that they did in 11 with pace and five wide and Brady in the gun, just kind of surveying and making plays and a lot of stuff in the middle of the field uh, up the seams. Like, I don't think this is going to be a bombs away offense. I, I, they're not going to push the ball 50, 60 yards down the field necessarily. It's going to be more of that a death by a thousand paper cuts that I think Brady obviously mastered and, and hopefully Mac can as well to a degree. And, and then some of Alabama stuff, motion, RPO, uh, things like that, that I think will also maybe update it a little bit. So I, I I'm excited about that. I, I think that the overall approach of let's do what we do best over the last 20 years, but let's just bring it to 2023 and not be stuck in 2001 with it. I, I think that that's going to make uh, good mean good things for the Patriots, but it, all, it comes back to can Mac Jones uh, take that next step. And can he be the, the high end talent piece, right? Can he, can he get into that next upper echelon of quarterbacks uh, where he's driving the bus? Um, I'll give you one stat, the Patriots in the Mac Jones era, this is going back to 2021. Uh, they're 0-13 uh, when the opponent scores more than 25 points. 0-13. So they have not won a shootout. They have not won a 35-32 game. They, they haven't been able to score enough offensively to win that style of game. And when you play Buffalo, when you play Miami with their weapons, when you play Aaron Rodgers, uh, you're going to get into a lot of games like that where – it's not going to be enough to score 24. It's not going to be enough to score 27. Uh, you're going to have to score into the 30s. And can the Patriots put up the numbers to be able to do that? Well, it's it's fascinating to hear you say that because my my next question for you after you just gave us a very comprehensive, you know, offensive overview. And I, I don't think see any holes in your argument. It's pretty much comprehensive uh, in that way. But it's that they do always manage to find a way to have one of the top defenses in the NFL. And last year, Evan, maybe you can disagree with me here. I thought might be the year they drop off a little bit because of the personnel and the guys they lost and, and just how the defense looked going into the year. But I was wrong there, obviously. And a lot of that probably has to do with Bill Belichick and what they do on defense there from a schematic standpoint. But it's, it's crazy because like, I agree with you in terms of needing to score that many points and how offense in today's NFL is probably a little more uh, sustainable in terms of you know winning games and having a great defense and not such a good offense, but talk to us about this defense and how they can help them win those 24, 20 games, because you know, I think even the personnel looks good, but even beyond that, you typically have to account for the Patriots just being better on that side of the ball than the sum of their parts. Yeah, they are so well coached on that side of the ball. Obviously starts with Bill Belichick, but uh, Steve Belichick has really come into his own as a play caller and Gerard Mayo is a future head coach in the league. So they really have a guy in Mayo who has that DC head coach makeup doing a lot of the just 
organizational type of stuff, I guess, like the, the CEO type of stuff on the defense. He does a lot of presenting. Uh, he does a lot of coaching in practice in some of the, the things that you would see a DC do, but Steve uh, helps a lot with the game plans and calling plays themselves on Sundays or on game days. So that's sort of their setup on defense and what they are defensively in terms of scheme is they are a true game plan defense. And I, I don't know if that many game plan defenses to the degree that the Patriots do it necessarily exist. I mean, we just take last year uh, against the Dolphins. They played uh, in that second matchup. I know it was, wasn't against Tua, but even in the first matchup to an extent, they're playing a lot of zone, they're playing soft coverage, and they're they're really hoping to keep the top on it, right? And not let Tyreek and, and Jalen Waddle uh, hit those big plays down the field and make the Dolphins march uh, down the field. But then in other weeks, they'll come out and, the, and they'll play man the entire game, right? It just depends on who they're playing and, and what the opponent uh, goes up against. They have one of the most comprehensive uh, playbooks and Rolodexes of things that they can pull uh, in the NFL. And I think that that's what makes their defense so much fun to watch and to break down is uh, they have everything in their bag. Like they have post safety, they have man, they have zone, they have too high, they have blitz. Like they can be, pretty much make it work with anything and anywhere at any time. And, and that makes them really fun and unpredictable. That's really going to be a big thing for them this year in terms of the players getting into sort of the individual players is unpredictability or, or just spinning the dial on quarterbacks. Uh, the one big loss that they had defensively, they, they only lost one starter, but it was Devin McCourty. And he, he retired after 13 seasons with the Patriots, obviously a massive, massive uh, loss just in all walks, like leadership, communication on and off the field in terms of leadership was huge with Devin. And he's obviously played that role better than just about anybody. I think, you know, in the last 10 years, he's one of the better free safeties in the NFL. So he's going to be a, a big, big shoes to fill there. But I think what they're going to do is really mix and match and, and change up the, the look for quarterbacks with Kyle Duggar, Adrian Phillips, Jabril Peppers, uh, Joshua Bledsoe had a strong camp and, and mini camp. And then also Jalen Mills is transitioning to a more slot safety hybrid type of role versus outside corner. Now that they have Christian Gonzalez. So they're secondary, even without Jack Jones, who we can talk about if you want, uh, goes eight, nine, 10 deep in the back end of guys that can play at an NFL level. And then their front is exceptionally good as well with, with Matthew Judon, uh, Barmore, Dietrich Wise, and Josh Uche coming off the other edge. Uh, they have a, a pass rush that was third in the league last year in pressure rate near the top of the league in sacks. Uh, so they can get after the quarterback. Uh, they're going to be sound in the back end in terms of coaching and, and how they structurally set up. And now they have some couple rookies too, uh, that I think really have a lot of people here uh, optimistic about maybe putting them over the top. Because I think the one thing about their defense, Travis, is that uh, they're a little bit of a paper tiger sometimes. They absolutely dominate backup quarterbacks, bad offenses. Like if you come into New England with Skylar Thompson, like you're not scoring a very many points. But when they go up against Josh Allen, when they go up against Patrick Mahomes, when they go up against the great quarterbacks in this league, those guys can score on them and have scored on them. Allen's really kind of figured them out over the last couple of years. Uh, Lamar put up 37 points on them early in the year last year. So can they be a defense that doesn't just dominate 
backups and bad competition, but can also control the game against elite offenses, I think is going to be the next step for the defense. Does that exist? I, I don't know. Like, does that defense exist in the league anymore? I don't know. But if it does, then maybe the Patriots can take that next step. Yeah, it's a great point. And uh, it's funny because every time I do a Dolphins Patriots preview, I'm like, you're going to get eight possessions on offense for either team here and just see how many points you can get out of those. But because like you mentioned, they do a good job of keeping the top on the defense or uh, at least uh, against this Dolphins offense. And it just seems like it's always a, a 20 to 14 or a 23 to yeah. 17 type of game. when We get, we match up with y'all. And then, uh, you know, John Jones comes back this year as well. Jonathan Jones and his matchups on Tyree kill. He's got to be one of the best cornerbacks to ever cover Tyree kill for whatever reason he's seems to have his number in that regard. So it's always a fun matchup there. A couple more names we didn't really discuss there. The, the Patriots added this offseason. Riley Reeve, Juju Smith-Schuster. You mentioned Mike Gesicki as well to go along with Jabril Peppers. I think you mentioned him as well. So fun matchups this year. Every game in this division is going to be fun, I think. The Dolphins will face the Patriots, like I mentioned, week two, and then again back in week eight down here in South Florida. Let's go ahead and take our last break right there and come back on the other side, and we'll finally get to the Miami Dolphins here with my guest today, Evan Lazar, Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation. All right, Evan, you were as comprehensive as can be there talking all things New England Patriots. Didn't really have to ask you follows because you pretty much nailed down everything I wanted to ask you in each of your answers. So we'll kind of go ahead and spin this thing forward here to the home team here on the Drive Time Podcast and, and one of y'all's biggest rivals in the Miami Dolphins. And I, I just kind of want to hear your perspective on the Dolphins offseason, uh, their outlook heading into the year. Because I have like three things that I'm focusing on for how they can get better and, and improve upon the nine-win season a year ago. But I definitely want to hear an opponent's perspective on this Dolphins 2023 operation. Yeah, I think the big thing for Miami, besides Tua's health, which sure. goes without saying, is just how does Mike McDaniel adjust to some of the things that defenses were doing to them later in the year when they came out? And I know that Tua's injury played a big role in why their offense wasn't quite as efficient towards the end of the year as it was in the beginning of the year, but they came out as probably the best offense in football from like an EPA perspective. And then it kind of started to really tail off. And then when Tua got hurt, it nosedived. And is that simply the quarterback getting hurt? Is it schematically that the defenses were seeing more things on tape from McDaniel and started to catch up to him? I know the Chargers kind of put a blueprint out there about how to handle the motion and the different things that they do pre-snap with Tyreek Hill. You know, what point uh, do they adjust and, and do they make some different things happen? I know with Sean McVay, uh, he was able to take the Patriots Super Bowl as a learning experience and be a little bit more multiple in the run game and, and throw some different things at, at defenses to be a little bit more unpredictable. And then they win a Super Bowl with Matthew Stafford. So what what's what's that? What do the Dolphins decide internally was the real reason why their offense uh, went from where it was at the beginning for six weeks of the season to where it was at the end of the year. If they chalk it up to just two of getting hurt, then I, I can totally understand that. And it's probably a, a valid reason, but I'm curious to get your opinion on, do you feel like that was all it was, or, uh, you know, is it something else? Cause I, I still feel like this team needs uh, to win with offense at the end of the day, especially with, with the division and schedules and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk about the, the Chargers game and the Niners game were kind of the two that seemed to tilt the offense a little bit back more towards the middle of the pack and, and the way they produced. And obviously the completion 
percentage went way down. That Chargers game was just kind of like the the biggest blip on the radar in terms of not really being productive at all. But what was funny about both those games in the Niners game, I thought I thought Tua was better in the Charger game. In the Niners game, I thought he missed a couple of throws that were were schemed open for him and just didn't quite get him on target. But even in those games where they struggled, they still had the explosive plays. You had the the crazy Tyreek fumble yeah. return for a touchdown, which I don't count that as like something you can count on, but the 56 yard touchdown pass to him in that right. game. And then a, uh, a 45 yard touchdown pass to him in the Niners game. To me, it comes down to being more efficient in the short yardage and not being so um, I guess, you know, negligent in the pre-snap operation. Cause there was way too many instances where the, the play got in late. They were up against a, a late play clock. They had false starts, offensive penalties that set them back behind the chains. If they can just get those things fixed, I think they can be more efficient, keep the ball for longer. And then you have not just a, an explosive play offense, but hopefully also a, a ball control offense to go along with that too. So it's, it's really fascinating, man. I can't wait to see what it looks like this year. Like you mentioned how McDaniel adjusts and how he changes things. Does he run the ball more? He does say he regretted not running the ball as much as he did as he didn't do last year. But I also say like, you've got Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Why would you not just throw the right. ball to them every single play? So it's, it's a, an interesting balance there, but we're all, we're all finished this Dolphins discussion with you on is the defense. And I, I respect your opinion so much on X's and O's and, and setting the all 22, Evan is, is the Vic Fangio impact because you mentioned the offense typically does win the day in the NFL. The, the best offenses find a way to get to the big game with the Chiefs and the Eagles a year ago. And Eagles defense is pretty good too, but uh, offensively those teams could, could flat out roll. But I'm curious how you think Vic Fangio can come back off a year away from the game and put his fingerprints on this defense and all of a sudden has Jalen Ramsey to go along with Xavier Howard and Javon Holland and Christian Wilkins and Jalen Phillips and Bradley Chubb. It's, it's a who's who of star players out there. Can he get them going right away, do you think? It's to me, you know, look, I, this might be a little bit of a hot take, but I think the biggest addition to the AFC East is Vic Fangio. Yeah. And I know Aaron Rodgers is going to be the one that gets all the headlines, but Vic Fangio terrifies me because I, I just feel like he's going to get that Dolphins defense to the point where they aren't just a bunch of star players with big names and actually are playing as a unit as one. And I know under the Flores, they had really good stretches, but really I, I felt like what happened with that was like the zero blitz package just took people by surprise and they didn't exactly, uh, hadn't really seen something as exotic and, and as different as, as that. And a coach that was willing to dial up the pressure as consistently as the Boyer, uh, you know, uh, Flores era, if you will, uh, were able to do. And then last year I was just, stunned uh, by even against the Patriots who let's face it uh, they they stunk offensively last year uh, but some of the decisions that the Dolphins made on defense uh, from a schematic perspective and like a game plan perspective I'm mainly talking about the second game uh, up here in New England they were playing man to man and just allowing the Patriots to single uh, up, you know, Hunter Henry and, and some of their other guys that could actually get open against man coverage and making the picture pretty clear for Mac Jones. They were really predictable in that game. And that was the only reason why the Patriots were able to move the ball a little bit offensively against them. Cause it certainly wasn't uh, the Patriots master game plan or, or their great play calling uh, that was allowing them to do it. So I was shocked how much, you know, man blitz they played in that game and just straight cover one they played against the Patriots because that was the one thing the Patriots could could do was if you're going to man up against us uh, we're going to give our our skill guys a chance to make plays down the field and we feel pretty good about it it was defenses that 
like Fangio's that play, you know, too high palms, like these different coverages that Fangio has really popularized across the league now uh, that, that give the Patriots a ton of problems, like deciphering the difference between, uh, you know, cover six and quarters and three and Fangio's system is not easy. Like it, it, it's something that really starts to blend together. Um, so I, I'm concerned as a Patriot fan uh, about Fangio being in the division, because you look at, the talent is clearly there, right? You got Chubb, you got, uh, you know, uh, Jalen Phillips, you got uh, Christian Wilkins, you got all the guys in the secondary. Like this is a really, really talented defense and they just haven't necessarily been put in the best positions to succeed always. And uh, the last thing I, I just remembered about that second matchup, they were down to like their like fifth or sixth cornerbacks, right? Like it was like Keon Crossing and like some practice squad guys playing and they were still playing man-to-man against the Patriots. So they're not going to do that this time this year you know they'll be well coached and, and they'll be ready to go a lot of a lot of long pass interferences last year that really kind of extended drives and, and put points on the board like you mentioned the attrition at the cornerback spot was it was clearly a focus this offseason going and getting yeah. Jalen Ramsey and then sit, turning around and spending your first draft pick on Cam Smith on another cornerback that can play both inside and outside there as well so I think they're pretty well intent on not letting that happen again this year and you know it's kind of funny because uh, you mentioned some of those Patriots defenses and the paper tiger element. I kind of thought the same thing was true of some of those Dolphins teams from yesteryear where they would, they would really get after backup quarterbacks when you see Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, and they would go for 35, 40 points on you. So hopefully, hopefully no more of that going into the future here. Uh, really good stuff there, Evan. I agree with you on, on pretty much everything you said. Going to be a fun uh, battle here in the AFC East. Let's go ahead and finish up with this real quick. And just uh, real briefly on each of these categories, want to get your take. We've done this for all eight divisions now, uh, talking about the division superlatives, the best players in the division by these categories. And we start, uh, this one to me is obvious, but I'll go ahead and throw it to you anyways. Who do you think is the top quarterback in the AFC East in 2023? It's still Josh Allen to me. I, I think that he's still the best and most dangerous quarterback until I see Aaron Rodgers play like he did a couple of years ago at an MVP level. I still would give it to Josh Allen, but we talked about it a little bit in, in the Buffalo. I know it's supposed to be a quick answer. That's not really my You're thing. Good, man. You're uh, good. <laughs> I, uh, I, we talked about it a little bit with Buffalo, but his superpower is his athleticism and his ability to extend plays and make things happen in, in like that playground bat, you know, backyard football style if they want him to play more in structure to preserve him, I wonder if that is making him play too left-handed. And at what point do you have to just say, this is our guy, like, like this is what he does. This is what he's good at. Uh, so I, I would put that caveat on Josh Allen, but I still think he's the best quarterback in the division. You go back and watch the week three game last year against Miami when he was forced to take the short stuff all game long. He you could just see it bubbling and percolating in terms of how frustrated he was by doing yeah. that and not being able to get off those, those big plays and scramble plays that he makes so routinely uh, so far at this point of his career. But that's, that's my pick as well. Josh Allen until someone else proves otherwise. How about your top player on offense? That's not a quarterback in the AFC East. I'm going Tyree kill. I, I think Tyree kill and look, the Patriots, you mentioned it with John Jones. I always ask John Jones, like, how do you cover Tyree kill better than anybody else? And his response is always just run really fast. Like just, <laughs> just run fast. He's like, there's no like secret to it. It's just with him. It's not about building up speed. It's not about like pacing out the route. It's you need to get on your horse instantaneously. And I don't think that there's anybody else it may be in all of football that's as dangerous or as scary on a football field as Tyree kill, because he can just house it from anywhere at any time. 
really in any type of route. Like he can take a slant, he can take a drag and, and go 80 yards, or he can beat you over the top 80 yards to the house. So I'm going Tyree Kill. I, I still think he's, I, I guess maybe Devonte Adams like has a, a case as the best receiver in football, but I would definitely say Tyree Kill has got a case. We've we've had that we've heard that a few times in the podcast, and we definitely appreciate the uh, the love for our guy down here, and he, just the way he's so detailed in his routes too. I think really gets underrated in terms of how he can create separation and continue, and, and I should say finish each route because some guys can kind of cut those things off sometimes, but he is detailed to the to the T and and gets that stuff executed. So the next one here, I think, is where you have a lot of options. I'm curious to hear where you go. Uh, I think pretty much every team in the division could put someone forth and say, this might be the best player, but the best defensive player in the AFC East, who do you, who are you taking this year? Oh man. Uh, it's a tough one. That is a tough one. So the way I, I see it, I, I guess, you know, based off of last year and, and solely just off of last year, I, I'd probably give it to Quinnen Williams at mm-hmm. the moment. Um, but I, I don't know if, you're looking at it, you know, it it all depends on how you look at it, I guess. But I I think just strictly based off of who was the best player last year, defensively in the division, I'd probably give it to Quinnen Williams, but each team has a guy that could dominate. Like you said, that, that has a really good case. Yeah. That that's probably my pick too. Uh, If I want to go Homer, I'd probably go one of our guys down. I mean, Christian Wilkins had a hell of a year. I, I, you know, yeah. the guy that I want to float that I think is going to have a, a monster year this year is Jalen Phillips. He's really been coming on and was really good in terms of pressure. The quarterback just had so many pressures where it was like the ball was out in 2.3 seconds, you know, Tom Brady style for the Patriots there for so long. So he's kind of my dark horse pick to maybe be the answer to that question next year. But I think Quinn Williams right now might be my pick as well. And then I think this, uh, this one's pretty obvious as well. I'm, I'm not going to go away from the, the goat, the legend that he is, uh, but the top coach in the AFC East just for posterity, Evan. <laughs> uh, you know, it depends on who you ask up here right now. You know, he's, <laughs> it's funny because I think that there would be probably 29 teams that would fire their coach immediately and hire Bill Belichick if he became available. But yet here in new England, it's a, what have you done for me lately town? And at some point, I don't think it's yet, but if this isn't start to turn around and based off of the decisions, I, I really think that that Belichick made last year with the coaching staff has really left a sour taste in people's mouths and Brady leaving was sort of strike one. And they were like willing to give him a, a little bit of a leash to say, okay, like the greatest coach of all time, we're not going to pick you over a player that only has two more years left. But now that they did what they did last year with the coaching staff, uh, his, uh, his his good favor is starting to run a little bit thin in, in New England. I, I don't think it's quite uh, at hot seat territory yet, but it's certainly at like warm, warm butt season uh, in <laughs> New England. But it's still Bill Belichick. I, I'd still give it to him, although I, I will say that I think Sean McDermott is a really good coach as well. That's that's my pick as well. I think we have again, just like the rest of the division in general. I think you have four really good coaches here that I think are going to be here for a long time. So great stuff there, Evan. Uh, well, we got to finish this one too, which I'm I'm going to be a homer and take the Dolphins. I'm just going to say it right now. But give me your pick for AFC East champion this year. I'm gonna just I'm gonna play it safe and say Buffalo. I I still think that they're the best team in the division until proven otherwise. I, I always sort of operate under that. Um, but I think what's cool uh, about the division, and I don't know if I'd necessarily include the Patriots yet, but I, I do think that three out of the four teams have a real case to win the division and talk to me in like, you know, Halloween about the Patriots, right? Like maybe they they show me something in the first half of the season because I do think they have uh, the the 
the talent in, in the two phases of the game, three phases of the game, you want to include special teams and the coaching uh, to be competitive in the division, especially if uh, one star receiver decides to, uh, to come here. So I, I think that they, they have the, the chance to be in that mix, but right now I'd say it's a three horse race and I'll give it to Buffalo. But I, I if you told me, in January, uh, that, you know, the, the, the jets or the dolphins, uh, won the division. I, I wouldn't be totally shocked either. It's going to make for a very, very fun season this year at easy Lazar on Twitter, Evan Lazar, Patriots.com, uh, catch 22 podcast. Evan, appreciate your time today, man. I want to give you a chance here to go ahead and promote what you're working on over the summer. Maybe you're going on vacation. That's why I'm getting all these preview podcasts cranked out right now. So I can play them out over the summer. Cause I'm going back home for a couple of weeks. I'm not even going to turn on nice. a computer. Uh, what are you looking forward to doing this summer? And what are you working on there at Patriots.com? Yeah, we will have vacations. Uh, you know, my my uh, coworker is on vacation for the next couple of weeks, and then I go on vacation, so we're kind of staggering them a little bit. But uh, we have some things going on uh, on Patriots.com. We'll do you know roster projections, uh, camp preview, summer preview, sort of roster reset versions of those. And uh, then before you know it, as you know, Travis, you know, we'll be at a training camp in in a month, and it will be. T- uh, you know, go time. So uh, we still do the podcasts, um, cash 22s once a week, Patriots unfiltered twice a week, even in the dead season here uh, of the off season, we still do the pods and, and the radio shows and things like that. So we'll still have you covered the Patriots. Like I keep uh, kind of hinting at, you know, in the Deandre Hopkins sweepstakes, um, there's some off field stuff going on with Jack Jones that we're going to be covering and things like that as well. So the, there's never a dull moment. They're always in the news somehow. So we'll have you covered. Yeah, even the six-week break of the NFL that we get every year is like still still talking football, man. I, I This is my time of year to kind of go back and watch some tape and, and look at, you know, to kind of get ready for the season and just see what I might expect for the t- upcoming NFL season. So, Evan, you said it all, man. Appreciate your time today. And uh, go, go find that beach somewhere, man, and kick those feet up. Yeah, you as well. Thanks. Thanks, Evan. And what he doesn't know, or if he does know, but uh, maybe didn't realize there, is I live 25 minutes from the beach. I go there all the time. My daughter loves the beach. All right, that's going to be it for the AFC East preview. We have one more of these to do. The NFC East will be on Thursday, and then we're going to be back to five days a week, and maybe even six days, depending on how the schedule works out for training camp and preseason games. But we have arrived, man. The season is here. We're going to be doing positional previews and rolling out some more of the walk and talks the next couple of weeks, and then in what, two weeks from now or so, give or take? Training camp, which you know where to go for the best reporting on Miami Dolphins training camp right here on the Drive Time Podcast. Also on Twitter at Winkle NFL and the MiamiDolphins.com training camp notebook. All coming your way this summer, this fall. In the meantime, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts from. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter, like I mentioned, at Winkle NFL, the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, and so much more. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Carolina and Cameron. Daddy is coming home.